Welcome to Rock Shop Talk. Our show talks best practices, fun anecdotes, and the latest cutting-edge technology in our field to kick your screen printing gears into hyperdrive. Today's episode features the topic of professional packaging, and we're joined by our special guests, Chris Blakesley and Ken Seidel of Bella Canvas, and Rob Welch of Rock US. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be right back. So I want to welcome everybody to Rock Shop Talk. Today, we are going to be talking about professional packaging, folding, operations, a lot of really cool topics when it uh, comes to getting finished goods out the door. We are joined today with our very special guests, Chris Blakesley and Ken Seidel of Bella Canvas. Alongside of us here is also Rob Welch from Rock US. I am Ross Hunter, president of Rock US. And uh, of course, we are joined by Mr. Merrill Caps, our creative director. How's it going, everyone? Hello. Awesome. Very well. Thank you. Want to thank you guys for joining us. This will be a really cool episode. It's, it's a, and it's an honor to have you guys here. Um, want to kind of kick off with just some updates on our end. Um, we are in the process of getting this elusive tour bus wrapped. Um, we're actually just talking how fun it's going to be to do one of these shows from the, the road. We were talking about like Times Square or something really cool. Um, bring the studio somewhere else to another shop, to another city. Um, so we are excited about that. Hopefully, um, this lovely virus will allow us to get out and actually do some things. I've saw Restaurant Impossible is actually doing this. So that's how they're filming now. Robert Irvine got a tour bus and he's revisiting all of the restaurants that have been on the show and they're able to do good six foot distancing and stuff. So I'm hoping to kind of follow what they've got going on uh, with our tour bus cool. so we can get out and see. Yeah, it'll be really, really, really fun. Um, other than that, uh, we don't have a whole lot going on this whole month. We've been talking, you know, folding lines and that's what this episode's going to cover. So I'm really excited to kind of put it all together with our special guests here and um, we'll, we'll dive in. So I want to thank you guys again for being here. Um, start off with a question, just, just shoot this off. Um, I know Ken, you've got a, a very long background in, in logistics, uh, correct? Correct. Yeah, 17 years at UPS, uh, working with uh, major Fortune 1000 companies uh, with global logistics. That's awesome. And Chris, you're the president over at Bella, correct? That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. So you've been building this this monster from the ground up and, and going through all these big changes with operations and logistics and streamlining the operations. So this will be really cool. I mean, in you guys' opinion, what makes packaging and finishing so crucial and is this like a missed opportunity in a lot of businesses you know within our space that you guys see yeah i'll uh, i'll maybe go first <clears throat> excuse me um you know we in, in our business we've had a couple of really interesting i would say transformations over the past year we uh we decided we, we had been talking for several years about you know, Bella Canvas going further into traditional retail. And we knew that there was a lot of retail interest in the brand because of unique visits to our website on a monthly basis, which most of the time people never logged into the website. So we knew they were looking, they were shopping, they were having an experience for getting inspiration. So we knew that there was a lot of consumer interest that got created through the promotional products market 
as people got exposed to the brand. We decided uh, to launch the brand direct-to-consumer retail, a curated assortment in October of 19. And it immediately started to do incredibly well. And then uh, we, uh, we did a deal with Nordstrom, which uh, kicked off actually right at the beginning of the pandemic. So they were taking delivery on product in March, which we, we thought you know, was going to become very unfortunate timing. But in fact, we did really well. We had some of the top sellers in our category through their website. So all of a sudden, we had awesome. a, a lot of new demand in the business, a lot of new requirements in the business. And of course, we did it because by having higher price points at retail, consumer affinity for the brand, it helps to create pull-through demand in our core channel, promotional products market. But all of a sudden, we're dealing with, uh, with packaging, with having to fold product, having to put stickers on product, uh, having to to just do things that we don't normally do, and then you know so that was happening in the business, and then simultaneously the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden we end up uh, big time in the mask business. You know we we still believe that we're on unit volume, probably the largest fabric mask manufacturer in the world, and that brought about new packaging challenges, and so all of a sudden we went from not thinking much about uh, unique packaging to having to be very efficient at packaging product in the United States. And that's what led us down this path. Wow, that's a, a lot happening at once too. Congratulations on that uh, partnership with Nordstrom. That's that's really cool. No, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been wonderful. And that's a lot of pivoting though from, from an operational standpoint. How, how did that look for you guys? So you know, you kind of have all these things, you know, converge on your business at once. How did you tackle, you know, did you basically separate each one of these operational issues out and go one by one? Was there one solution that you were looking for to solve, you know, multiple different problems? How'd you guys approach that? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give maybe a top level perspective on that. I'll let Ken talk more about what we did, but uh, you know, we, uh, I think most people who know our brand well know that we're big believers in investing in the U.S. And so unlike many of our competitor brands, we've kept a substantial footprint in our campus in L.A. where Ken and I are now. We have four buildings. We have about 1.2 million square feet under roof. Uh, at any given day, there could be up to a thousand people between the warehouse and the production operation here. So we're big believers in investing in the U.S. and and using U.S. resources. So when the packaging requirement came at us, when we realized we had to do something, we did what we always try to do, which is figure out how we can use technology to make it possible uh, and to keep the cost at a level where we can do it competitively in the United States. So that led us into this effort of just exploring all of the automated packaging solutions we could and that led us to the, the decision to make the investment in the Rock uh, machine, which has been fantastic. And then I'll let Ken talk a little bit more about what that looked like. Awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it was two different processes, you know, the, the packaging, the professional packaging of, of apparel versus masks, and both were uncharted waters. So really, we had to kind of pull out the script from college and, and do our industrial engineering work. It was time and motion studies of, you know, what's the best way to package. You work with marketing to come up with the exact packaging we needed. And then what was the methodology to package masks or apparel uh, most efficiently? And uh, 
again, it, it was a combination of looking at manual processes using the human resources in this area, and then also sublimating that with technology. And, and, and the rock came into play with that. Actually, with both processes, we were using the rock machine specifically for uh, masks, bulk masks, uh, 120 masks in, in, a, in a, a large quantities, and we were using them also for uh, some of our commercial apparel packaging. But really, it gets down to time and motion studies, quantifying and qualifying the processes, and then crafting the right process to efficiently and effectively package the product, specifically to the product. So for our listeners out there, I mean, you guys are obviously doing this at an extremely large scale. And, and, you know, a lot of our listeners are, you know, getting into business early in business, you know, maybe small to midsize at this point. When, when they get into... Yeah, you know, let's maybe back off of the packaging, but what you said was really interesting it, into optimizing their business in general. Is that kind of where you would suggest people start is looking at your business, doing time studies on each facet of your operation, and then trying to understand, you know, where your, you know, your downfalls are, and then look, I guess, out to the market for things that automate that process? I mean, is that kind of how you guys go through these stages? Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, we, we sort of looked at it as, let's let's start by seeing how productive our people could be. And, and in some cases, you know, to your point, and, and during this whole mask initiative, I mean, getting enough people was one of the biggest challenges because you're adding hundreds of people, you know, in a short period of time into the operation. But I'm sure that, you know, even small to mid-sized businesses, finding good people is not always easy. And so, but what we did was we said, all right, well, let's let's use the manual approach. Let's test it. Let's put people on it and let's see how many packages they can do in a minute. And then you just break it down. And then we said, all right, well, the cost of the person is X. They can do X number or Y number of packages per minute. And you back into the cost of doing a package or the cost per minute of that operation. And then we tested the rock. And, and of course, there was a lot of good data available before it was even here. We went and did some demos at some companies that already had the machines. And we figured out how many it could do per minute. And not surprisingly, it was much less expensive than doing it the manual way. So now you have two operators, you know, at, at most maybe three keeping the machine fed with product. So you still are employing people, which is great because we all want to do that, especially in the US. Uh, but you're able to be very economical as a business, you're able to keep your costs down and then you can pass that advantage to some extent to your customers uh, and or make higher margin and it's just a better business. Absolutely. Yeah. When you guys seem probably had the barriers too and you're bringing in hundreds of people with the pandemic happening and we're obviously having to concern with social distancing and mask wearing and, you know, protection that that's, that's a, a, probably was a big thing that you guys had to contemplate as well. I'm guessing at least right now. So. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, when we designed our shop floor, it had to take all those things in consideration. Our people six feet from each other at least, and not just side to side, front to back. So right. we really took over a lot of, of one of the warehouses for packaging and uh, set it up properly so people don't get sick. That's awesome. And so the equipment kind of takes away from that too, which is nice. Yes. So um, kind of switching into the branding and marketing, you know, part of packaging. I mean, I, maybe we could use Nordstrom as an example here. What, what do you guys see like 
that role and being like, how important is that to your business in terms of what that package looks like, what they're getting in that finished product that's going to the consumer um, and, and what kind of thought goes into that from a branding standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so I'll, I'll maybe start the discussion just talking about a trend that we see in the industry that we certainly have seen over the past couple of months. But we know that the pandemic obviously forced a much higher rate of digital penetration in all things retail. And I, I read a study recently that suggested that in the duration of the pandemic, the increase in retail as a percentage or increase of digital commerce as a percentage of total retail, that increase was equivalent to the prior nine years combined. So we see this dramatic increase that has brought a lot of new demand into our core industry because customers discovered decorated product. And I think it just created a, a closer connection between you know, our promotional products market and retail. But when you're in retail, if packaging and folding are a big deal because the retailer wants to be able to take the product right out of the box and put it right on the shelf. So if it needs to have a barcode on each item, then that barcode's got to be on there already. If it needs to be in a poly bag, that has to be done. And so you then you want to deliver that to the retailer. It's a hard requirement whether you want to do it or not to participate. And I think that's an opportunity for people in the industry but then all the little nuances, because the retailer wants the sticker in exactly the right place, you still want to have your branding on it. So what we try to do is we take those requirements and then say, well, how can we bring forward the Bella Canvas brand most effectively within those retailers' requirements, do the design on the label or the package or whatever it is, and then you know put that into production. When you guys are kind of penetrating this new market too, with a higher retail rate going direct to consumer, I'm assuming these are with blank goods, correct? That's right. Yeah. So right. it's it's got to have that that kind of flair, right? That someone gets. I mean, I, it's interesting though too, because fashion has kind of shifted. I know myself. You know, I was a screen printer for 12 years. I owned a, a company out in LA, and um, I don't think I've worn a decorated shirt for a very long time. I mean, it seems like fashion trends have definitely gone to, you know, the blank shirt, the cool cut, you know, different types of sleeves, different types of collars and, you know, toss on a nice sport coat and, uh, you know, you're good to rock and roll with the pair of jeans. I think Richard Branson, I want to say kind of made that, you know, sort of a, a fashion statement for the, uh, the business person. So, so that packaging, when they get it, I'm assuming it's part of that experience too, that, you know, they're getting this very nice, you know, non-decorated good, and it's got to feel special in some kind of way and, and really make that brand stand out. Sure. But I think too, once you, you know, once you end up in a retail application, then it's also about how do you keep brand consistency as well? So all of the branding that we've already done, the way that we have our logo, the fonts, all those aspects have to be incorporated into that branding. And then you have to be able to efficiently get that product. Absolutely. For sure. I have a quick question for uh, these gentlemen, Ross. Uh, from an operations standpoint, can you tell us some key logistics about when it comes to packaging? Like what, what businesses should strive for in selecting packaging systems and overall workflows in general? Sure. You want to talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. With with, with the rock again, a lot of it went down to what are the benefits, quality, qualitative benefits, and quantitative benefits of of automation. 
So let's first talk about the quantitative benefits. Well, first of all, is, is it more efficient? Does it reduce headcount? Uh, does it enhance productivity? In the case of the rock specifically, it enhanced our ability to package masks or apparel by a factor of three. So suddenly we were able to produce more three times as fast as we could with our optimal human uh, system. The other is, is, is quantitatively. So we looked at uh, the end results. Because when you use automation, it has to, you have to put into, into the decision-making model, what is the end product? Consistency. When we use the automation, as opposed to the human uh, uh, process, everything was uniform. The way the shirt was folded, the way the shirt was put into the uh, pack, and the way the pack was sealed. When you do it with a, uh, a non-automated uh, process, those, those, those factors are, are, are varied. So quantitatively, and you, and you do the math, you know, when you get time is money, and obviously headcount is money. So you apply that to the cost of the technology, and, and the rocket really uh, paid for itself very quickly. Well, you know, the other thing I would say that I that I uh, personally liked about the machine is we looked at, I think, every packaging machine that was available in the market. And one of the things, you know, for people who have been around production and operations, machinery, as, as you know, many of the, the viewers uh, I, we know uh, certainly have and, and uh, continue to be on a daily basis, you know that the more complexity there is in something that is, you know, something that has a machine aspect, the more chance there's going to be failure. And the rock machine, the technology, the way that it works, when you really get underneath the hood, it's, it is very intelligently simple. And so when we looked at everything, you know, the, the probability of the machine having a high percentage of uptime of it working well, we just felt a lot better about the engineering in the piece of machinery itself. Awesome. Yeah, very, very intuitive. And that's another factor that has to go into your decision-making of technology. Is it something that uh, you have to have just one or two people that are experts in that? Or is this a technology that gets several people and you can uh, cross-train on that piece? Mm -hmm. right Absolutely. On. Absolutely. Thank you. For that. Well, cool, guys. We're going to jump into a quick commercial break, and we will be right back to talk more packaging and automation logistics. Hi, everyone. I'm Claire with Bella Canvas. So what does it take to shift from making t-shirts to face masks literally overnight? We've made investments at every stage of our production to make masks as quickly as possible, making 20 million a day. First, it takes innovative technology at every stage of our manufacturing process. We were already in a great position to service the non-medical face mask need thanks to owning and operating the largest cutting facility in North America. That was the easy part. How to package all these masks? Now that was the hard part. Before this pandemic started, we were shipping bulk ordered t-shirt boxes for wholesale. We needed an automated solution that would help us polybag every item. So back in February, we invested in the Roke Pack machine. The Roke Pack couldn't have come at a better time. With its high technology advances, it has the capability to package up to 1,200 pieces an hour. That's one piece packaged every three seconds, working much faster than using manual labor, allowing us to get face masks out with better lead time. In addition to impeccable speed, this machine functions on minimal human touch keeping our employees and you safe while packaging our non-medical face masks. 
With every step of this process, we have thoughtfully prioritized your safety. By using machines like our laser-guided fabric cutters and our human touch-free packaging, your safety can be trusted. We're in this for you, and we're in this together. So I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we discuss all things screen printing. Today's episode features professional packaging, and we are joined by our special guests, Chris Blakesley and Ken Seidel of Bella Canvas. Uh, we got Rob Welch from Rock US in the house, and of course, our creative director, Mr. Merrill Caps. Cheers. Um, so I wanted, oh, that's a great cup, Merrill. Oh, thank you. I'm, I love it. It's a... Uh... A cow with udders at the bottom. And the udders are the stand. That's <laughs> that is fancy. That's <laughs> good. Yeah, so our viewers know uh, Meryl is an avid uh, coffee mug collector. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, you know, the kind where he goes to a restaurant and sees a really cool mug and it somehow might disappear off the table. I Look, <laughs> okay, so you're officially not part of my gang now. <laughs> Sorry, I had to out you, dude. I had okay. to out you. Okay, okay, okay. So the we'll, restaurants we'll beware. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for cool mugs. <laughs> Thank you, sirs. So, want to kick uh, this back off? Uh, we're gonna go over to Rob, who uh, is uh, one of our specialists here in Rock US on the packaging system, and actually worked with uh, Bella Canvas um, and Ken and, and Chris to to get this system into Bella. And just kind of talk from like an internal side of, you know, the modular system that, that we have available for everyone, what that really means, and then talk about some of the efficiencies and add-ons and different things that um, the folding, packing, labeling machine offers. So I'll let you take it over there, man. Absolutely. Um, so out of everything that we, all the solutions that we offer, uh, I truly believe that the folding solution is the most interesting and the most diverse piece of equipment that we sell. It's um, definitely the one that people stop at at the trade shows and just stare. <laughs> I've noticed that it's like this, like, you know, beautifully, you know, engineered crazy machine and you just watch it do all these different things. Uh, there's always uh, at a trade show probably a dozen times a day. Uh, someone will walk up and say, Oh man, I wish I could get one of these for my laundry room. Um, <laughs> I can't. Uh, exactly. I can't argue that. Well, um, that was, that was uh, that's what happened to us. That's where we saw it for the first time. Yeah, it was funny. Yeah. I remember that actually. So this was in Long Beach uh, back in January, and I'm standing there at the folding line, and I've been having lots of conversations with people. And Chris uh, comes up, and a couple people with him, and he's asking questions about the equipment. I'm answering those questions, and then I look down at his badge, and I see Bella Canvas, and I remember jokingly saying, like, "Oh, it." about a canvas like how many do you want you know you can take this one and get you a couple more well, let's make this happen um but it is really cool and i think one of the things that really makes it stand out is that that modular aspect to it right so you could have someone who you know right now and for an example i was in a shop in la before covid and i went in there and you know they had a bunch of bunch of presses they're printing they had 25 people sitting at these long tables with these flipping folds, folding shirts, sending them down, someone's putting them into bags, 25 people doing this. And if with one folding line, they would be able to essentially be able to do that with one or two people. And right. twice, two, three, four times as much output. Absolutely. 
Um, but the modular aspect of it's really cool because it allows people to, you know, let's say, you know, all they're doing is folding the goods. And they're putting them into like a, you know, a, a UPS box or something. And it's like, okay, cool. You've got your folding unit here. It's going to alleviate kind of any errors. You're going to get the same folds all, every time. It's going to look real crisp and nice. And then let's say then they get a client, you know, in a, in a retail space, they need to have, um, you know, a size label applied to the garments. It's like, okay, cool. Well, we can add that module on now. Now you have your size label. Um, if they then need to, to package them and bag them. We have not only the clear plastic, which has kind of been the standard for years, but uh, the polymailer material as well. So realistically, you could have a shop that's doing direct-to-consumer fulfillment, and they're printing the garment, running on the folding line, folds, labels, packages, puts it into a polymailer bag, and prints out a UPS shipping label directly on the bag, and it drops right into the shipping bin ready to go out the door. You've eliminated so many steps of people needing to be there in human error. Um, and that when you actually see the line do that, all those things in line running, you know, 700 an hour is breathtaking and it's amazing. And it's going to give you that, you know, consistency and that quality that I think people really have come to expect. And this machine just does that flawlessly. And I mean, taking it back to Bella on the point of modular, you guys kind of utilize that, I, I believe, where you've got the folder packer and we went in because you guys pivoted heavy into to mass and we're needing to package, I think, the, the 120 at a time. And we actually pulled the folding piece off. Right. That's right. Um, and you guys were just utilizing the packaging machine for for mass. And then when you get back and maybe that changes or your needs shift, we come back, we put the folder back on and now you're able to do uh, retail for, for Nordstrom and, and, and have that maybe be the case. Um, that's, that's really cool. And I think the biggest thing that people, Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, need to understand is the cost of entry is, is nice because instead of having to buy, one full system totally done for you know 100 and what 70 80,000 or whatever the case may be you know they're able to get started with what their biggest need is at the time so if they're just needing to fold like you said you know it's like okay I can just buy this piece but it gives them the ability to expand and grow as their business changes and their needs change right you know good uh, a good analogy would be like a modular synthesizer Right. I don't know if anyone knows what those are, but they're kind of archaic at this point. People still use them. But the whole idea in that, in that kind of a system is you have all these different modules and you have this gigantic box and you put all these modules in it and you can add to it and take away from it and, and do as you wish. So the folding line is very much that. So if, if someone needed to just bag things, they didn't need to fold, you know, cool. get your bagger. You're running 1,200 pieces an hour on the bagger. That's awesome. Oh, now we need to fold. Let's add that in. And yeah, you can just, it could grow with you, which is unlike any other kind of stuff in this industry where, you know, if you buy a screen printing press, you know, yeah, sure. Maybe you can add a head to it, but it, the press is the press. And this is something that you add what you need when you need it until you've got the full line and then you're, you're golden. And then, you know, hopefully uh, you grow even more and need two, three, four more. And I'm happy and to they call you, that. right, Rob? Yeah, yeah I'm happy, <laughs> happy to help with everybody. Yeah. Awesome. 
I want to dive into a little bit more specifics uh, with Ken and Chris here on, you know, we've talked a lot about the why. We've talked a lot about like what led you up to the decisions and the research and, you know, some of the time studies. But when you guys, you know, get down to it and maybe a little bit more into the nitty gritty for our listeners, how do you guys go about calculating the true ROI? Like in terms of the math, just for people that have never done this before, you know, you've got a time study, you've got X amount of people. Can you kind of walk us through just what that really looks like from a mathematics standpoint and how you arrive at those numbers to make the decisions that you're making? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so we, you know, obviously being a, a, a large business, you know, we have some, some what I would call benchmarks or standards that we look to, but there, it's nothing that any business of any size could use. So we tend to think of investments on, as you suggested, a return on investment approach. And what's the, what's the return going to be in some period of time? And so, you know, our standard typically is in the range of a 50% return on investment in 12 months, if we're going to make a capital expenditure. And so, you know, the math on that's fairly simple. You sort of take the the option of buying, so let's talk about this machine. We're going to buy this machine. It's going to cost us whatever amount of money, $150,000, let's say. Uh, and then the alternative is this other approach, the manual approach. How much is that going to cost? So now we have two, two sort of options to compare. We're going to spend $150,000 for this machine. Let's view that as a 12-month expense versus the manual approach. How many people would it take? And how much is that going to cost us over the next 12 months? And then you do the math to say, okay, what is option A cost versus option option B? And that's the way that we look at it. So if we're going to spend $150,000, the benefit of that should be $75,000 of benefit in 12 months if we're going to get a 50% return on that investment. Does that make sense? So you're sort of saying that, that option A, the automated option, should cost us $75,000 less at least than the manual option over the same period of time, in this case, 12 months. And if if the math works out that way, you make the investment. Now, what we know about this solution is it probably, you know, we haven't gone back back to do the math, but it probably, you know, has generated a three or 400% return or will in its first 12 months. It could, could be even higher uh, than that, but that's the simple math. It's just, and I think every every company can do that to say, I'm going to compare two approaches, and I'm going to look for a 50% return on the automated solution, which I think is you know a number that a lot of companies would use, and just run the math. And it's really simple math. And then if it, if the math plays out, you know, make the investment. Yeah, I think that that's a really important point. I, I know you know just from being on both sides of the industry. Um, for years now, one of the hard things with smaller businesses is, you know, they go into these purchases, like people know, like, Hey, I need something, right. Everything always starts with a need, just like, you know, you guys pivoted, you got mass, you got a need now, right. There's, there was this packaging concern and, you know, a lot of folks really look at a price tag. And so, you know, for me personally, and I don't know if you guys, you know, agree with this sentiment or or not, but, you know, if you're listening out there, don't get hung up on that price tag. 
get hung up on exactly what Chris was just talking about, which is a return on investment. The price tag is always going to be scary. It was for me when I automated my business for the first time. I mean, I remember being at a trade show, you know, getting financing, signing my life away, personally guaranteeing it, you know, on a hope and a prayer, but I had a problem and I had to solve it. And I'm glad I did. I mean, you know, when I went that way, my return was probably within the same thing, first 12 to, to 18 months. And it was a great investment, but you know, there was some part of me at that time being a really young business owner where I wanted to just not do it. It's like, no, I can make this work. I can make this work. Well, when I did it, my business exploded. I started making more money. I was able to do more. You know, my overhead was down. Um, and I really didn't think about ROI then. I mean, it's just not well, something that crossed. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I was going to say, I think that's one of the things that uh, small business owners or business owners in general often confuse investments and expenses because it's really easy to do because you spend money on stuff all the time and there's just money leaving the business constantly. And I think particularly as, as businesses are, are you know, mid-sized to smaller, you know, you have a, you have an entrepreneurial owner. It can be very difficult to separate your kind of the way you think about your personal life with, with expenses and the way you think about your business. And so if we use this example of $150,000, you can spend $150,000 on expenditures that give you no return whatsoever, just money leaving the business. And I think, you know, what people need to think about with these types of solutions is I'm taking $150,000 of my money and I'm putting it over here. I'm not giving it away. It's not leaving the business. I'm making an investment in this piece of equipment. And that investment is going to return me at least $75,000 in the first year. But what else could you do with your money? Where if you put $150,000 somewhere, put it in the stock market and guarantee that that 150 is going to make you 75 in the first 12 months. And that I think is the shift in, in psychology is it is moving money into an investment. It's not an expense in the business. And that's why most larger companies, and correct me if I'm wrong, but set up like CapEx budgets. So you guys will exactly. earmark a certain amount of investment money per year to automate, to chain, you know, to basically invest back into your operations to ensure that that you're most profitable. How do you guys determine what those budgets look like? I mean, without getting into too much detail about Bella specifically, but just kind of a broad um, explanation. What goes into creating those? Is it a problem statement that you, you know, end a year with? Is it, you know, we know we need to do this in the future? Is it more of an entrepreneurial thought to get to that budget? How do you get there? Yeah, I mean, we're at a point where it's it's very much a part of the overall budgeting process. And so, you know, for us, which is probably not different than most companies, it, it starts with a forecast for the business's growth for the year. So what do we believe we can grow the business over the next 12 months? And, or, you know, and, and, and we look at capital expenditures several years in the future, because in many cases, when it's production related, it takes a while to get it implemented. So you can't just think 12 months forward, but it starts with how much do we think the business can grow? And then what investment in production capacity is going to be necessary to support that growth. So the sales plan drives it. Then we say, how much capacity do we have to build in order to make that work? Um, and uh, and then at that point, 
how much equipment, what are the what does that equipment cost, and then that creates the the budget for capital spent in the business. So it's part of a big overall budgeting process. And that's something that any small business can do too. I mean, I guess I used to always think of it as my savings account. It's like, you know, what am I putting back, you know, for next year to be able to grow? And I think it starts there and, you know, I guess matures into a, a much more complex uh, set of thoughts, obviously. So that's really cool. That's Thanks right. for sharing that. Yep. All right. Well, let's uh, cruise into our next uh, commercial break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to get into what is shifting in our industry and how that's relating to people's operations and um, get some really cool feedback from Bella to kind of piggyback off of uh, last week's episode or last episode. I shouldn't say last week. It was two weeks ago. But um, our last episode, just really talking about where this industry is going and, and where we see it headed. So we will be right back. Ease yourself into automation with the Rock US folding, packaging, and labeling modular system. All of our pre-shipment systems may be purchased together or individually. The versatility of the modular system empowers you to build your premier packaging, folding, and labeling solution one step at a time. For these and other expert solutions, please visit Rock US or call 187-ROCKET-NOW. That's 877-674-8669. So I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we discuss all things screen printing. Today we are talking professional packaging and we are joined by our special guests, Chris Blakesley and Ken Seidel of Bella Canvas and uh, our own Rob Welch from Rock US, and of course, our creative producer, Mr. Merrill Caps. So I wanna dive back in and, and kind of shift gears. We'll, we'll continue to talk a little bit, bring you know, some packaging and stuff into this conversation, but you know, while I have you guys, you know, it'd be great to talk about what is going on with our industry. I mean, how it's shifting. We discussed this on our last episode a little bit with Ryan from Ryanet, and we talked a lot about, you know, digital shift. We talked a lot about consumer buying habits, obviously changing to online and, and how that's affecting, you know, obviously our printers. It's, it's definitely making changes to our apparel manufacturers, such as yourselves, um, so can you guys kind of talk about what you're seeing in terms of the industry shift, what you've seen from your side and, and what that looks like for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll start and then I'll, I'll let Ken go. Um, you know, there, we see a couple of big things and we, we've been doing some, you know, broadcasting recently out to our customers because we can't you know, go visit them in person like we used to, but about these issues. But one of the biggest issues has been, as we all have experienced that, the pandemic had a huge impact on events and like nothing we've ever seen in the industry before, much more so than the recession in 2008, 2009, the, the reduction or elimination of events has had a massive impact on demand through our channel. Um, and we, we kind of view the, the basics part of our business, t-shirts and sweatshirts is roughly a 1.5 billion unit uh, business on an annual basis, all, all in. And uh, we believe that up to a third of those units, so say 500 million units, are sold into events. Uh, and in many cases, that product is being given away. So it's the least expensive sort of you know, t-shirts and sweatshirts that are sold in our industry. Mostly. This is like for the big, like, uh, marathon races where everyone gets a t-shirt that participates or... 
right, um, exactly. giveaways yeah. for the Giants game kind of thing, something like that. Yeah, you, you got it. Exactly. And so that part of our industry has been obliterated by the pandemic because none of those events are happening. And even when they come back with social distancing, fewer attendees just based upon people's comfort levels, the profits of those activities are going to be suppressed for a long period of time. And the likelihood that that giveaway product, which is a pure expense line item, you know, continues the way that it used to is pretty unlikely. And so we see that part of the industry getting heavily damaged. It's been heavily damaged and it will continue to be that way. Uh, so that's the bad news. The good news is that at the same time, you have all these people, millions and millions, tens of millions of people now working from home. They're wearing casual clothing. Their companies are trying to stay connected to them because they don't have them at the office. They can't create that team spirit, camaraderie, and all those things. And so really nice, premium, basic, casual uh, items that are decorated with something. Could just be the company's brand name, could be their slogan, could be some aspect of connecting. That business is off the charts. And we're very fortunate that that kind of segment, the premium basic segment is our is our segment and so you know we've been uh, a big beneficiary of that trend but it's a it's a reallocation of unit volume in the industry and it creates a great opportunity and what i love about it too is it's more creative it requires better product it requires better decorating and because the customer wants something that it is in fact a premium or, or retail and then you know as we touched on a little while ago there's been the explosion of digital commerce during this period of time, which I think has brought more customers to our industry and discovering our industry because they've been searching for items and they're more likely to find it on a website than they were, you know, walking into somebody's shop uh, in the past. So those are two things that are really neat. They're shifting the landscape, but not unlike what we saw with digital commerce getting its acceleration in the past few months, the premium basics category in our industry has probably gotten as much of a boost in the past three or four months, as it plays out now, as it had gotten the five prior years. So it's really a place that people should focus. And it's a fun one because it involves, you know, great decoration, great product that I think, you know, everybody enjoys. Well, it seems like too that, you know, I know from the decorator side of things, digital is obviously just absolutely taken off. And when you talk about, you know, digital, I mean, it's expensive process, expensive machinery, expensive inks, you know, I mean, there's a lot involved in it. And so that premium garment is a big piece to that being able to be successful um, for all this direct to consumer, you know, selling that's happening right now. So I'm sure that that's been a huge, you know, piece of this too, from those larger digital decorators coming in and wanting to print on a premium garment because that's what what people are buying um because we've seen a huge digital explosion here i mean in rock us and and obviously just talking to decorators around the country um you know people are launching web stores they're getting into it i mean i for the yeah, first actually, time in my life bought a t-shirt off of facebook actually twice two times yeah. i was sitting at home i'm browsing and i'm like that's cool. And I can apparently win a truck. I don't know if I could actually win the truck, but they said I could win a truck. So I'm like, I, I like the shirt. That's awesome. You know, and I spent 35 bucks on it. 
And uh, I want to say it was actually a Bella shirt that came my way. Um, and it was, it was great. So, um, Ken, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I concur. Just to echo the, the e-commerce, you know, as, as you look at this pandemic and, and situations that none of us have ever seen before, you know, the difference between good companies and great companies are good companies are asking themselves, how can we survive this? Great companies are asking themselves, how can we prosper during these times? And, you know, case in point, the Bella, I mean, here, here we have the largest cutting facility in the United States. And to transition that and pivot to make masks, brilliant. Well, even the small businesses can do that. You know, what, what are the, the needs now of society that I can now tender to uh, and, and, and prosper during these times as opposed to merely making it? And again, e-commerce, if, if the small business doesn't have a, an e-commerce presence, my gosh, no better time now than to do it and, and to cut out a niche and, and, and put your foot into that door because uh, there's an opportunity there to not just make it, but to prosper. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, can I jump in real quick, Ross? I totally yeah, please. a separate topic or something that occurred to me. Um, could we discuss like a potential environmental impacts of this collective shift that we're seeing that you may have picked up on so far and uh, projected and that kind of idea? Yeah, I think uh, it's actually, that's actually a great question. And I don't know that yeah. we fully understand how it will play out, but you know, what we all know is the reason that that really cheap segment of our industry is referred to as the giveaway, throwaway segment of product is that, in fact, many of those items are discarded after they're given, uh, right. whether it's, you know, whether you get forced by your significant other to clean out your T-shirt drawer and you, know, you start throwing that stuff away or they go into a bucket in the garage because you're going to use it to, to clean the car. A lot of that product ends up in the garbage. And so there is an environmental impact. The other thing is that in order to keep the costs low on those products, the people who make them, the companies who make them, make them in countries that do not have the highest environmental standards for wastewater, for dyes, and all these different kinds of things. You know, as many people know about us, we choose to dye everything in California because California has the highest wastewater standards in the world. And so it holds us to a high bar. So we do that here. And as a result, it makes sense to do our cutting here, which of course we've, we've automated. Um, and so I think, you know, premium basic product is more environmentally responsible all the way around. And so it's a really good shift. It, it needed to happen. It needed to kind of get the kick that it got, unfortunately, you know, it had to be a pretty terrible event that, that we could happen. But in the long run for our industry, it's going to be a good, a good thing. Did you guys see this sticking? I mean, it, it's interesting for me, I, I guess, from, you know, I always think to the consumer, consumer habits. So, you know, our end users out there that are buying a decorated shirt or, or a blank shirt. I know for me, um, I can only speak personally, but I had never used Amazon <laughs> until this pandemic happened. My wife does. I just, I am one of those people I love to go in and feel something and then get that immediate, like, here's my money. Now I can take my thing and, you know, use it. And um, I'll be honest, after I started doing online buying, I'm kind of addicted to it. <laughs> um, it is a lot easier. I mean, do you, do you guys see this? 
you know, and I guess this is really a personal opinion, but just it's something that's really going to stick with the fabric of, of our consumers moving out of this pandemic. I mean, I know you said there's a long tail from the financial impact for the event spaces and sports and, you know, all the things like that. But do you guys really kind of foresee this? Does that change the way that you guys are thinking about, you know, moving forward as a company? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that um, based upon any number of things you could read before the pandemic about certain types of businesses that were, you know, kind of the, the lagging ones around digital commerce, um, apparel was one of those. Because to your point, a lot of people liked still to go into a store, touch something, feel it, try it on. And so it was one of the uh, segments that was kind of hanging on to brick and mortar. And then this happened and pushed all of those people into having to purchase digitally. And I think that what they found is what you found, they had a great experience. They found out that the companies they bought from have great return policies, easy returns. Many you know brands now include the return label in the box. So all you have to do is pull the sticker off if you want to return it, throw it in the box. And so I think people discovered that it's actually really great. And while they go back at that point, and then there's going to be the lagging issue of, you know, people just not being comfortable in small spaces with lots of other individuals. Do they really want to go into a store? Uh, and that'll hang on for a while, too. So we see this as a long-term impact. We think the work-from-home issue is also going to hang for, you know, indefinitely at this point. A lot of people are never going back to an office full-time. And so that's going to change the dress code situation and more people wearing basic product more frequently. So some really, really cool things. And I think, again, it was a terrible event. It, it continues to be terrible. Absolutely. But for our industry, I think it's going to play out long-term to bring many really great benefits. But back to Ken's point, for companies that innovate and companies that do the right thing to position themselves to take advantage of, of the benefits that will come from this whole thing. I'm sure Ken's got some. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, speaking with a lot of my friends that have online retail businesses, not only are their sales up to unprecedented numbers, new clients, new users are up to unprecedented numbers. So again, here's an opportunity to have fresh new buyers. Now, how do we retain those buyers? And what are some of the creative things we can do so they don't gravitate back to brick and mortar? They maintain in our store, our virtual store, for the future. So here's, a, I mean, some great opportunities to, to not just, again, survive, but to thrive now and into the future. Absolutely. It's interesting too. I mean, the margin difference between, you know, shifting your business to an online store, creating your own product, creating your own line, um, you know, and from a decorator standpoint, you know, and using myself again, as an example, I mean, I remember, you know, printing and I made, Anywhere, you know, brokered 50 cents a print to, you know, maybe two, three bucks if I was selling something internally. But, you know, with people that are pivoting this online space, I mean, they can start to realize, you know, six, seven hundred percent markups um, and, and completely change the scope of their business. We've seen a lot of folks even move out of big cities. They've taken their screen printing shops, they pivoted into a more retail, you know, type situation they get out of the big city, they go rural, they put their 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 shop on their land that they now just bought, and um, they're printing less, they're hanging out with their family more, and they're actually making more money than 
you know, they were in that past life. So um, like you guys said, a very positive thing for people that are able to make those moves and, and be creative and inventive and, and, and get into something else. Yeah, it's really insightful. Um, so kind of going back to packaging, I'm just curious if you guys have any like funny horror stories, just some, you know, crazy thing through all these pivots and all these things that you've had to do getting stuff out the door. I know you guys pivoted and I mean, literally on a dime. Um, do you have anything, uh, entertaining to share with our, our audience about any of that? Well, I have to say probably my funnest, uh, funniest experience uh, was fun too for me, not so much for Ken, uh, maybe <laughs> in the middle of it. But when we, before the machine arrived, you know, we're, we're packaging these, uh, the masks in these bundles of 120, you know, using manual sealers because that's what we could get a lot of in a very short period of time. And so, you know, imagine an operation where you've got this stack of masks and you're sliding it into a bag and using these manual sealers. And we literally had hundreds of these sealers instantaneously with hundreds of people. And Ken was setting up that operation. And I was one week, I wasn't uh, here. I was, uh, I was back in Chicago at home and uh, I get a call at midnight from Ken who is losing it, like literally losing it because he couldn't find enough plugs to plug all these sealers into. And so he's got them all plugged into one wall, you know, huge fire hazard. It, yeah. He's tripping the breaker, so the sealers aren't working. He can't get the mask back. It was nuts. And he, he, he calls in this, you know, has this nervous breakdown with me on the phone. And, uh, and it, you know, I let him go through his whole diatribe. And then I said, Ken, what do you want me to do about it? I'm 2,000 miles away, man. Figure it out. And, uh, and then he worked. You worked all night that night. I worked all night. That was a 36-hour day. Uh, I was seeing monkeys, and it was just, it was just, I was yeah, hallucinating. It was just one of the lowest points of my life. And I appreciate you sharing that, Chris. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but, it, no, but, it, uh, it, but it made a great point around automation because. Uh, and electrical needs. Yeah, yeah, that's also, yeah. That's for sure. It was like the Christmas story. Remember when, when he was putting all those, those, those plugs in and the thing was zapping and stuff? Oh, well, yeah. Picture that with, with a couple hundred people working. And, and it, I was like, oh my God. You know, it was midnight, and it's, it was uh, it, it was overwhelming. I can imagine how fun that would have been if the fire marshal walked in that night, huh? With oh, all the yeah. chain no extension cords, be. and <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's where you see Ken off the off the side of the building. So, and, 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 actually, right. I think I think uh, I forgot one important element of this story is that the next morning was the morning that you showed up on our daily production call with no shirt on. That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, again, because of sleep deprivation wasn't all there. He turned, and, he, uh, turned, he turned his camera on in a call. No one has their camera on and there he is in his hotel with, yeah. with no shirt on. So, so uh, there was my career. Well, you took you took the whole Zoom concept to the next level, Ken. I mean, most oh, people absolutely. wear their boxers, but put on a yeah. you know put on the yeah. shirt. Whole body, baby, all <laughs> in or nothing. Uh, there are still some women that are in therapy as a result of that. I believe, in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not just women. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, <laughs> say love me. That's awesome. Well. Um, I really appreciate you guys joining us today. We're going to uh, wrap up. I wanted to give you guys the opportunity for those of our listeners out there. I'm sure everyone knows, and I hope they all do know about Bella Canvas, but 
where can they find you guys? Um, a website, B, do you have some social uh, hashtags people can follow, check out what you're doing? I know you guys have been doing a lot of live uh, updates. You've put on some seminars for some folks in the industry. So I want to give you a chance to talk about any of that and uh, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the greatest destination for sort of all things Bella Canvas is bellacanvas.com. Um, and, you know, find links, obviously, to all of our social channels. And we are. We, um, you know, we're, we're really trying to pivot like most businesses in this around the way that we interact with customers. And we, uh, you know, we, we've been making heavy investments in education uh, through our Fashion Apparel Masterclass to help teach customers better ways to do business, how to strike opportunity. Uh, we just did a few weeks ago our first live broadcast uh, to the industry. And we're going to be doing those live virtual events uh, every month moving forward. And we're going to pick a topic, uh, usually driven by the what the audience wants to know about. So the next one is, is, uh, is coming up in the next couple of weeks is going to be focused on uh, fleece and the transition to fashion fleece products that's occurring in the industry. And so, yeah, bellacanvas.com is the place to go. We put everything there and, uh, and, you know, we look forward to interacting uh, with them as we go forward and, and doing it, you know, as, as virtually as we can. That's awesome. And I know you guys provide a lot of printing tips on your garments. I mean, you guys have a pretty big resource library there. So um, for those folks uh, listening that have never been to the website, um, that are maybe just getting their Bella Canvas uh, apparel through third-party vendors, definitely go check out their website because there's a lot of tips, tricks on on what you're out there doing decorating on on these garments. So, again, Ken and uh, Chris, I really really appreciate you guys joining us today, taking times out of your busy uh, schedule to be here. Um, Rob, thank you as well, sir. And Mr. Merrill, a pleasure as always. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone out there for listening and uh, rock on. Tremendous thanks to our special guests, Chris Blakesley and Ken Seidel of Bella Canvas and Rob Welch of Rock US for participating today. As always, thank you for spending time with us this week. Tune in at your convenience wherever you listen to your podcast by searching Rock Shop Talk. That's R-O-Q Shop Talk. On our next show, we'll feature the Rock Fit. If you'd like to request to be on the show, please visit rock.us slash rockshoptalk. If you found today's episode helpful, the greatest accolade we could ask for is for you to recommend it to a friend who you think may find it helpful as well. Please like, share, and subscribe on social media. Until next time, rockers, press onward. Press onward.